Uh, welcome to this very special episode of the Betting Goods podcast. I'm speaking. I'm speaking to Michael Norris, a research and strategy manager at Agency China. Uh, hi, Michael. Uh, nice to talk to you. Likewise, and um, it's great to be on the podcast. We've tried to、um, catch each other a few different weekends, and we finally <laughs> managed to get through my awful, awful schedule. I do have to apologise,、um, and we've 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 arrived on a on a date and a time that works for everyone. So it's it's great to sit down and and, and speak with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. So.、Um... Now we are here to talk about Chinese antitrust policy, especially with with regards to the tech sector.、Um, my first question to you is: We've had several、uh, regulatory actions in China over the last, I mean, almost two years now.、Uh, could you separate us on what is antitrust related and 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 what isn't? Because that's not clear among market participants. Yeah, sure. So I think、um, there is a sense of confusion around. Uh, what's going on? You're quite right. There's a few moving parts,、um, including investigations、um, launched through the anti-monopoly law. So that's definitely antitrust. There's also been some、um, new regulations around data and data privacy. That's not antitrust. But it touches and concerns internet platforms. There's been、um, more in the way of content regulation. Again, that's not antitrust, but it touches and concerns internet platforms. And then finally, there's been some sector-specific actions,、um, notably the rectification of the、um, online education sector, and that's not antitrust. So. When we're talking about antitrust in China, we're really talking about、um, the anti-monopoly law and、um, adjacent regulation. So, for instance, guidelines on the platform economy,、um, etc., etc. So today's conversation will be will have a, a slightly narrower focus. It won't touch all of the、um, regulation that、uh, Chinese internet companies. Are facing, but a subset of that. Okay, so let's let's look at this from the very beginning. The fact is that there isn't much antitrust precedent in China.、Uh, the Chinese anti-monopoly law was、uh, passed in two thousand eight, if my memory serves right. And we compared that to the US, where we've had over a hundred years of it, and then.、Uh, The EU, where you've had more than two decades of the EU plus、uh, multiple decades in specific countries, it's it's a lot harder for、um, market participants to to understand what the aims of Chinese regulators are.、Uh, how do you look at these? What are they they trying to do? What's their theory of antitrust? Um. So before we get into the theory of antitrust, we need to. First, switch gears and get into、um, the mind of Chinese policymakers with respect to their view on economic development.、Um, at the 19th National Congress in 2017,、uh, President Xi observed that China's economy is in transition from rapid growth to high-quality development, and high-quality development. 
that phrase is the new development paradigm. Um, to Chinese policymakers, high quality development promises innovative, coordinated, green, open and shared development. Now that maybe sounds like a mouthful and it maybe sounds like um, a propaganda, but you must, um, if we are to truly appreciate where uh, policymakers are coming from, then you, um, you have to uh, take um, these concepts um, and their ambitions and internalize them and, and, and think through um, from, from this lens. And so high quality development requires a reform agenda that addresses constraints to um, market efficiency, and that includes ensuring fair competition and preventing the buildup of risk. Um, and one of the better articulations of this is from Vice Premier Liu He um, last year, who penned an article in the People's Daily. Um, roughly translated, uh, one of the, the key quotes is, we need to strengthen market mechanisms, form healthy competition, reduce in institutional transaction costs, and establish a unified, open, competitive, orderly, and high standard market system. And so once you wrap your head around high quality development, this concept, you can then understand the five-year plan, which is where we're at now. Uh, the 14th five-year plan is from um, 2021 to 2025 which works towards achieving high quality development. In Article 2, Section 1 of the, uh, of the 14th Five-Year Plan, under guiding ideology, it says this, uh, again, roughly translated, we will take the promotion of high quality development as the main theme, deepening supply-side structural reform as the main line, reform and innovation as the fundamental driving force, and satisfying the people's ever-increasing need for a good life as the fundamental goal. So once you have high quality development um, under, your, under your belt as a, as a mental model, then the regulation of digital platforms occurs in, in this particular context. Again, um, realizing high quality development for Chinese policymakers requires a reform agenda that addresses constraints um, to market efficiency, fair competition. And risk, and so, in that context, then we get um, a, an insight into what's what's looking to be achieved. There's a perception um, that anti-monopoly and unfair um, uh, competition is occurring in the economy, and so what that means uh, is that there needs to be a reform to different. Uh, sectors of the economy. The five-year plan, Article 20, Section 3, also emphasizes this. They say, we will promote market marketization-based reform of comp competitive segments in energy, rail, telecommunications, public utilities, and other industries, liberalize access in competitive businesses, further introduce market competition mechanisms, and strengthen the regulation of natural monopoly businesses. And this natural monopoly business well, that's very interesting because as most of, of your listeners will know, it's well established that digital markets have winner-take-most or winner-take-all properties, um, thereby resulting in monopolistic or olig oligopolistic structures. And so um, it's, it's within that context that 
we see some of the changes that have taken place ever since um, the high quality development concept was uh, introduced in 2017. If you have a, a small timeline of all the events that have occurred since then, you get a picture of, okay, um, antitrust is, is, is key to be, to be able to reduce some of those market inefficiencies. So for instance, in 2018, you had the consolidation of the antitrust entities under SAMAR, you had antitrust guidelines on inter intellectual property rights in, in 2020, um, as well as the automobile sector guidelines in 2020. You had the antitrust guidelines on the platform economy in, 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 in February 2021. And then, of course, everything that happened last year, the Alibaba investigation, uh, the Meituan investigation, um, the uh, draft amendments to the anti-monopoly law, which are, which are still ongoing, the elevation of the anti-monopoly bureau again last year, uh, and then finally late last year, the antitrust guidelines for active pharmaceutical in ingredients. And so putting all of this together, China has its sights on monopolies of all stripes. Um, and so uh, for those that have, have followed my, my musings on, on antitrust, I've opined whether um, monopoly crackdown would be a more suitable, if not dramatic replacement for the widely used tech crackdown label in order to realize high quality development. There needs to be more competition. And that means a revisit of markets that have monopolistic or oligopolistic characteristics. And digital markets is a, is a, key, is a key subset of those particular markets. Start those markets, let's start with the most famous one. Uh, Alibaba was fined, I think, 4% of total uh, the, uh, revenues for several antitrust violations. Let's take a step behind there and, and think, um, we have a very well-established body of law in the U.S. of what anti of 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 what is illegal and, and what isn't. On the other hand, in China, we have maybe only 13 years of uh, regulation, out of which only the last two or three have been intensely enforced. What do they see as the main problems in these monopolies? The, the common thread between the Alibaba and the Meituan um, investigation and subsequent fine was a particular type of unfair conduct, um, exclusive dealing in competition law, whereby the platform operator, whether it was Alibaba or, or Meituan, said to particular merchants, um, either expressly or impliedly, that if you launch a store on a competitor of ours, for Ali, that would be um, uh, JD or Pindodor, and for Meituan, that would be Ulama, then we will um, take action uh, against you to teach you a lesson. And that includes things like shadow blocking, whereby the amount of um, traffic that would be directed to that store on the platform gets choked. And so the amount of, um, of viewers of those particular stores decreased, uh, thereby harming sales. And so there was, um, whether it was for Alibaba or Meituan, this had been an issue that had um, reared its head continuously from about 2017. Um, it was uh, an open secret that this practice occurred. And 
um, the launch of the investigation and the subsequent findings that Alibaba and Meituan had engaged in this behavior didn't surprise anyone. Um, so um, uh, in both those instances, the unfair competition was a, a form of exclusive dealing well known with inside the industry. And when we look at that, um, uh, those, those investigations as part of the, uh, the centerpiece of last year's antitrust activity, we can see that that is actually quite low hanging fruit in the scheme of things. Um, two platforms that were notorious for uh, this type of behavior, um, various documentary evidence, both um, uh, public and, and um, accessible under discovery. And so the outcome of, uh, of both those investigations um, was, was pretty clear. Um, you mentioned low-hanging fruit. What's the next step then? What's the uh, difficult things that they require more uh, political capital or more evidence to tackle? Well, um, it's, it's worth revi uh, revisiting what's already been done um, before we answer that question. And so I think last year we, 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 we touched on the investigation and the subsequent fine of Alibaba and Meituan. And that was one piece of antitrust activity. Um, other, uh, other instances or, or remedies that we saw last year, we saw more merger control. So we saw the, the block of the Huya um, and Douyu uh, to live streaming, uh, to gaming live streaming uh, platforms. Um, that merger was blocked. It was the first time that China's regulators have blocked a tech merger for antitrust reasons. And in, their, um, and in the, the, the reasoning, um, Seymar, the competition watchdog, cited both uh, the horizontal and vertical impact of that uh, proposed acquisition on competition. Um, and that particular uh, opinion on the merger is quite interesting in the context of of, of tech, um, it's the, because it's the first time that the competition regulator has looked both um, at the horizontal and vertical impacts of a particular tech, uh, uh, particular uh, particular tech acquisition. We had some behavioral um, edicts. Uh, so, for instance, in uh, April 2021, Samar summoned. Um, 34 internet platforms and ordered them to self-inspect um, uh, to make sure that um, they were compliant with the anti-monopoly law. Um, in July last year, you had Seymour ask, uh, well, uh, order Tencent and its affiliates to relinquish exclusive music rights within 30 days. Um, uh, and those exclusive music rights included requirements for copyright holders to treat Tencent better than its competitors. There was um, the very famous edict in September 2021, where um, the Ministry of um, uh, Inf uh, the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology (MIIT) ordered China's largest internet companies to stop blocking links. Uh, and therefore facilitate interoperability. 
And so we've had some behavioral changes as well. And then lastly, um, the changes under the anti-monopoly uh, merger control rules. These are uh, still being proposed, but it, what it would mean, it, it, it would mean that um, uh, SAMAR, the competition watchdog, has the right to review transactions that don't meet a threshold for a mandatory review. So expanding the ability for SAMAR to be able to um, uh, review mergers that would um, result in industry co consolidation below a particular threshold. And so um, uh, all up, last year we saw um, an emphasis on merger control. We saw investigations into unfair conduct and um, the commencement of the work on interoperability. Um, and looking at merger control and the unfair conduct, um, in my view, those are low-hanging fruit for, for, for regulators. Um, then comes your question of, well, what's in that context, what's more challenging? And um, it's, it's, it's my belief that uh, what's challenging is going to be, number one, um, the interoperability regime how it works, um, uh, what the guidelines are, who supervises interoperability, all these very technical questions. Um, then further, uh, we have the, 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 um, the, uh, a document published this, this month, January, the opinions on promoting the standardized, healthy and sustainable development of the platform economy. That also gives us a clue as to what's on the agenda for China's um, antitrust regulators. And it seems to me that one of the um, potential points, again, and this is technically quite difficult to do, is, is to determine what is fair in terms of service fees and commissions across different platforms. Um, this is something that uh, fee control and, um, and capping take rates or commissions is, is, is highly technical work. And it's not something that can be solved easily. Um, but it is, it is at least for Chinese policymakers necessary to prevent um, rentier capitalism taking hold in winner-take-all, winner-take-most markets. And so if whether it's interoperability or whether it's uh, caps on take rates, I find these to be uh, more technical areas that will, will require uh, more consideration, more industry um, uh, consultation. And so, um, being able to uh, get get those particular areas, um, uh, you know, sort to, to be able to sort those out, I think is going to take a little bit longer than the investigations into um, Alibaba and Meituan, respectively. Speaking of interoperability, a common pattern among Chinese businesses is making investments in, in startups and in 
putting those uh, startups inside their uh, inside their their closed wall ecosystems how does this from the company's perspective given that they can't i mean at least the the walls are getting a little smaller and smaller how does this change their uh, strategy where where are the energies of of, of chinese platforms uh, being directed to now well um to, let's so that that question seems to have two parts to it i mean the first is whether or not um uh, for instance 10 cent uh, in its um wallet component of wechat will be able to only showcase services that it has invested in in the future um my belief is that this is one of the highly technical areas to be worked out in interoperability uh, i mean as a legal question as a point of law does only showcasing investees contravene the anti monopoly law or um any uh, associated regulations around the platform economy um there's an argument uh, there that that can cut both ways and reasonable minds may differ as to whether or not this is um an unfair preference um especially given the fact that the competitor services are searchable they're just not profiled in the wallet page um and so um many have questioned whether or not tencent for instance um can continue with this particular strategy of um investing in for instance uh, e-commerce platforms are highlighting them within the wallet function and giving them um preferential access to the the traffic that comes through that particular page um and so this is a highly technical question it concerns a number of different elements of elements of law uh, but my my gut feel is that those days are numbered your second question around well where are they investing now i think um sticking with with 10 cent the its investments last year i think are curious in the sense that um they contravene or contradict a particular narrative that has emerged around chinese tech regulation this narrative says that um the regulations with respect to the platform economy are designed to um a direct investment away from consumer internet and towards um uh, robotics advanced manufacturing semiconductors and the like this is not a a thesis that i buy and uh, i'm sure there'll be there'll be time a little bit later to unpack why but let's just quickly look at 10 cents investments last year 268 investments 60 in games 52 in uh, b2b saas 29 in entertainment and 20 in finance and so all of these are are pretty hard or or pretty far removed from from hard tech and so it seems that uh, whether it's in terms of investment pace or in terms of investment area um 10 cent is continuing with its it, its its previous strategy of using um wechat as 
a solid uh, a solid a solid base and a foundation to connect both uh, consumers and businesses um, and, um, and, uh, and 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 build on on its um, on its advantages there. Um, so in in terms of I think we we talked about the the hard tech um, or the promote hard tech thesis. Uh, would it be okay to um, uh, to talk briefly about about that and 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 why I don't think it's a a very sufficient um, explanation of yeah yeah absolutely sure um, so I think for, for context uh, if you were to pick up an English language newspaper and read about the regulation of of China's platform economy chances are you'd see the explanation characterized as China punishing internet platforms to promote hard tech. Um, if I'm honest, this is um, an amazingly stupid narrative. Um, and if I can swear on the podcast, it is dumb fuckery at its finest. Um, now, toning down the language just a little bit, it's fundamentally flawed across a couple of different domains. Um, the premise, logic, and evidence, taking, taking these in turn, right? So first, the premise. The premise is that um, China, Beijing, thinks that the epicenters of the platform economy, e-commerce, ride-hailing, and food delivery are frivolous and wants to concentrate effort and energies on the goal of becoming a techno-industrial techno superpower. Um, here's, not, here's what's not quite right with that. The first is that the platform economy isn't frivolous. Um, the preamble of, of the opinions on promoting the standardized, healthy and sustainable development of the platform economy, this document that came out in January, stresses that the platform economy is a positive force that plays an increasingly prominent role in China's social and economic development. And when you look at some of these platforms, um, they are the on-ramps to the digital economy for consumers and businesses, Alibaba, um, is 18% of China's retail sales. That's total retail sales. Around 50% of China e-commerce GMV. It serves 946 million customers on an annual basis. Um, it, it's the, and then those customers are serviced by 11 million small to medium enterprises. And, and that activity in turn creates 70 million direct and indirect jobs. Mei Tuan. 70% of China's food delivery market, service, servicing 668 million people a year, 8 million um, restaurants uh, and other businesses, 3 million riders um, have, have jobs through that platform. Uh, Didi at its, at its height was 90% of the, of the ride hailing market, servicing 377 million um, uh, riders and, and employing directly or indirectly 15 million drivers. Um, WeChat, you know, it, it, it created um, 37 million jobs in 2020 and, and, and 50 million small to medium enterprises rely on, on, on WeChat to be able to conduct business. This, this is, these are huge, important on-ramps to the digital economy. Um, 
and and if if your if, if you or your listeners weren't weren't satisfied by by that, ju just think that in terms of jobs, in terms of a job a job breakdown, around one in twelve um, uh, Chinese of of working age are employed um, in directly or indirectly in e-commerce. So this is a um, this is a a significant um, wealth creator. It is not frivolous in the slightest. The second part of the, of the premise that's wrong is this idea of concentrating energy on hard tech rather than soft tech. Now, this is a this is a false dilemma, a, a stubborn insistence that China's goal for technological self-sufficiency has to come at the expense of the platform economy. And proponents of this narrative, whether it's whether it's um, uh, whether it's whether it's uh, Dan or whatever the other guy's um, name is, are yet to offer a cogent explanation for why this trade-off is necessary or desirable. And in fact, it's my, it's my deeply held suspicion that this particular uh, framing, the idea that there's a trade-off, that there's um, a, a, an order of priorities, arise, you know, comes from a misreading of uh, uh, President Xi Jinping's essay major issues concerning China's strategies for mid to long-term economic and social development. There, um, President Xi states that China must be self-sufficient in food production and industrial development, even as it, quote, accelerates the development of the digital economy, digital society, and digital government, end quote. Now, this doesn't go as far as to prioritize one sector or the other, nor does it imply that one must come at the expense of the other. And so, um, the, the what this means for those that say that there's an order of priorities, an order of hierarchies, you imply that the Communist Party only has one policy objective, getting its hands on more critical technologies, and that it can't institutionally pursue multiple policy initiatives. Now, in parallel, that's a pretty cartoonish view of the world's second largest economy. And I would I would um, encourage those folks that, that have that view to have a look at the 14th five-year plan. Um, and it shows that the 19 sections show that um, the Chinese Communist Party has many policy objectives which it can pursue in parallel. And, and then finally, the last thing that's wrong with the premise, C, this idea that, that China uh, is looking to um, to kneecap the platform economy to you know uh, launch itself as a techno industrial superpower. Now the problem here is that there's there's no question that China wants to become a a techno industrial superpower and achieve self sufficiency in critical technologies. However, many are confused about when this ambition has started, and it's not the U.S. China trade war that alerted China to the importance of self sufficiency in critical technologies. Um, nor is it the U.S.-China trade war that alerted China to um, uh, the importance of, of semiconductors. In 2012, the 18th CCP National Congress articulated the innovation-driven development concept, um, and this emphasizes that technological innovation is the strategic support for increasing productivity and national strength, and it must be placed at the core of China's national development. And then of course, in 2015, we had the Made in China 2025 Strategic Plan and Industrial Policy, which is the document that sets out the domestic production and self-sufficiency targets 
for key industries like integrated circuits, robotics, airplanes, and other advanced materials. And it's this document that sets the semiconductor self-sufficiency targets. Um, so 70% of China's semiconductor needs being a source through domestic supply by 2025. And so if you're this, this type of person that believes that uh, platform economy regulation is designed to get more investment and talent into hard tech, then you've got to address this disconnect between when um, Beijing started its ambition to become a, an increasingly self-sufficient techno-industrial powerhouse, 2012 or, 20, uh, or 2015, take your pick, and when it started regulating the platform economy in 2020. So you've got a five-year lag or a five-year gap to account for. And so I hope that your listeners can see that there's real problems with this narrative's premise. The, um, the platform economy isn't frivolous. Uh, China, as the world's second largest economy and um, uh, often portrayed as a, a sort of a, a technocratic system, um, can pursue multiple policy objectives in parallel. And then the, the final one is accounting for this gap between when, when China has this stated ambition to become a techno-industrial superpower and when it starts regulating the platform economy. So you can, you can see quite quickly how it doesn't stack up. Now, um, there are other ways that it doesn't stack up, it doesn't stack up logically. Um, you know, if you look at the logic behind the claim that regulation of the platform economy is a signal for funds to flow into hard tech like semiconductors and robotics, then you need to argue that non-adjacent sector regulations, that is the regulation of platforms, can direct or redirect funds and talent better than the production targets, government funding, tax breaks, and R&D incentives that were given under Made in China 2025. And it's my understanding that no one in this camp has adduced any empirical evidence that this is the case. And if you look at the funds that are flowing into priority technologies, um, especially if you look at a time series, you can see that investments into areas like semiconductors have been ongoing since Made in China 2025. Yes, 2021 was a big year for semiconductor investments, but so was 2018 and 2019. Again, if you look at Tencent and its um, uh, and its uh, investments, why would uh, Tencent, um, if the, the goal is to invest in more hard tech um, and Tencent is a key owner and operator of, of, of platforms, um, these hard regulate to get hard tech proponents would have to argue that Tencent is moronic um, to not get the memo or the counter argument, which is that uh, the which is a belief that I hold that the um, funding and policy settings under Made in China 2025 are already sufficient to direct investment into priority sectors. And so, if you're serious about this idea that regulation is on par with production targets, government funding, tax breaks, and R and D incentives, then and you really think that regulation plays a role, then my question to you is, well, why wouldn't China's um, policymakers 
be more direct in regulating for this end. So Tencent, Alibaba and Baidu are designated national champions under Made in China 2025. If the government was serious about regulating platforms for hard tech, why wouldn't they just decree that champions under Made in China 2025 must devote X percent of R&D to technologies on some priority list? Why take the trouble of updating anti-monopoly laws if you can regulate directly for the outcome of more investment in hard tech? So, you know, logically, whether it is the ability for regulation to be able to spur investment in this sector or the nature of the regulation itself, proponents of the promote, uh, sorry, the regulate for the promotion of hard tech have a real time being able to logically account for why regulation uh, in this context at this time period is the right tool in the policymakers toolkit. Now, further to that, if you really believe that this is the case, then you would have to believe that nearly everything that China's competition watchdog, Seymour, has said about the platform economy regulations from the preamble of the, um, the, the platform economy uh, guidelines to the, the speeches from uh, Zhang Gong, the head of, of Seymour, you would have to believe that everything is a lie. Now, that's some really tin foil hat stuff to be able to go, yep, they're, they're, they're having us on. It's all a lie. Um, uh, you know, this, this, this economy, this polity, China, that is famous for or infamous for writing down its economic objectives is bullshitting us on this one. I mean, that's some really far-fetched and fanciful stuff. So uh, I hope that your, your listeners at this point can really see that this narrative just unravels. Um, the, the, the platform economy certainly isn't frivolous. The idea, you know, you can have policymakers that can pursue antitrust and technological self-sufficiency in parallel, and then non-adjacent non sector regulation. Is it a strong signal compared to production targets and government funding? Unlikely. It's a, it's a real weak signal. Um, uh, you know, this idea that you'd have to argue that the current settings in place are insufficient. Um, you'd have to account for the fact that there are no decrees for uh, more direct investment in, in hard tech. Why not regulate directly? Um, and then real, you know, logical leaps to discard the government's development concepts and articulated rationale for the platform economic regulation. You know, if you, uh, if even after all of that, you still believe in this, then good for you. Um, but really, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the regulate to get hard tech narrative is um, ill-founded, ill-formed, and illogical. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm I'm really surprised uh, that we haven't discarded it by now. It's um it's an awful explanation that um if you think about it for for more than thirty seconds falls apart very easily. Rant over. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I had questions about it too, but I'm not as knowledgeable. And anyways, if uh, one were to be surprised about everything that's wrong on the internet, we would spend the entire day on it. But uh, thank you for that. It'd be very useful. And, 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 and I'll be linking to this later when I talk about it. A question I had for Michael Fridzo was, um, given the uh, poor sentiment on several Chinese stocks, 
first, when does the antitrust, um, when do the series of investigations end? And, and the second, which company comes out uh, best in this, uh, in these times? Right. So, uh, so the investigations, um, so I, I assume that Michael is talking about for unfair competition and un unfair conduct. Look, I think, um, uh, so um, Alibaba and Meituan were, were well-known, uh, were, yeah, well-known for this particular competitive tactic. Um, I, I don't think that we will see as many investigations into unfair conduct. I think this year, um, if you look at that, um, that document, Opinions on Promoting the Standardized, Healthy um, and Sustainable Development of the Platform Economy, I think there's some clues there that, um, uh, that, that, that point us in the right direction. I think this year is less about investigations and more about regulating platforms, these on-ramps to the economy, more like utilities. Um, and there are a few things in that document that, that stand out to me. Um, the first is uh, the second opinion, opinion number two, that there should be more clarification around the boundaries of platform responsibility and strengthening the responsibility of super large internet platforms. And for those that are familiar with global regulation vis-a-vis um, -vis big tech, You'd, you'd recognize that this signals, I, I think, something quite similar to the graduated responsibilities under um, the European Union's proposed Digital Markets Act. So we might have graduated responsibilities for platforms, this idea of a, um, a, uh, a white list of activities that are encouraged, a gray list of activities that require approval um, uh, before being undertaken and a blacklist of activities that are not permissible um, uh, by these, these, these large internet platforms. Um, and that takes us to a, a place, a regulatory setting that is similar to um, utilities. Uh, the, the, the next, in terms of what to watch out for, um, I think that uh, the other element that should be on folks' mind is, is one we talked about just briefly, which is capping platform take rates. Um, so the eighth opinion of that document stresses that platforms should reasonably determine service fees and commissions. So at the moment, it's, um, it's a case of the platforms being able to set and publicize consistent, fair and negotiable service fees and commissions. Now, the question for investors out there is, the platform's earning power, the earning power of Ali, the earning power of uh, Pindodor, the earning power of Meituan might be impaired if service fees and commissions are capped. And um, I think it's already the case that uh, Chinese internet platforms don't have the same earnings power as um, Fang overseas. And I think that platform caps um, will, will cement that as fact. Uh, and so when we're looking this year, I think it's less about 
investigations per se. And I think it's more about um, an in, a, a, a network of, of, of or sorry, a, um, a set of regulations that are increasingly sophisticated um, and govern more and more of platform activity. Um, now, of course, the, the question then arises, well, who's the main beneficiary uh, of, of these regulations? Uh, I think that um, if you are looking at these regulations, um, you would see that all of the major platforms uh, and, and platform operators have some level of exposure one way or another. It's very difficult to be able to get a, a clear winner. You can have, uh, you know, I've expressed before on a net basis, I think Tencent does um, uh, quite well out of this, but um, one of the things that folks who are looking at Tencent and following Tencent have to have in mind is that Tencent's responsibilities um, across antitrust and as well um, new uh, and beefed up data protection regulations means that the surface area for itself to get into trouble is also uh, larger. So on, on, a, on a net basis, I think Tencent is a, is a beneficiary, but uh, this acknowledges that Tencent's uh, level of responsibility and, um, and areas where it can trip itself up across, across privacy, across um, swiftness uh, and depth of its um, uh, changes to interoperability, um, the ability for it to be able to merge different entities, the ability for it to be able to invest in particular entities and, and pursue particular business lines may all, um, may all be impacted. And so uh, what, what's required is a real cold-eyed look at the whole sector. Um, and as folks do that, I can't stress enough the importance of reading source material. Um, so I recently ran a, a Twitter poll where I asked China ADR investors whether they'd read the antitrust guidelines for the platform economy last year, 7th of February 2021, they were published. And only 14% of poll participants had. Um, and for those who have reasonable memories, it was only mere days after those guidelines were published that we saw the top for China's large cap internet companies. Uh, 10 cents share price, for instance, peaked on the 10th of February, 2021. And so had investors read that material, um, such as the draft guidelines released in November, 2020, uh, such as uh, the document that I've referenced a few times in our conversation today around the opinions on promoting the standardized, healthy and sustainable development of the platform economy, you're in a much better position to gauge regulatory risks. And so um, reading the source material, I think, is, is very important. Uh, arm, armchair conjecture, um, spitballing a few different ideas about which platforms might benefit and, and, um, and, and which won't will be informed greatly if you have um, those two documents under your belt.
I think actually a, a better analogy would be banks than utilities because utilities are only constrained on prices and you know they get a minimum capital thing but banks have a more complex set of re- regulations and, and if you know if you're looking for a simpler uh, analogy it would be banks but that small um, disagreement apart uh, I, I have a few I have a more uh, meta question about, about this for you besides reading uh, source data uh, how should investors outside China get their news diet what publications and uh, what Twitter accounts do you recommend besides yourself of course <laughs> so so on the question of uh, whether it's financial regulation or whether it's um uh, utilities uh, like uh, telecommunications you know I think there's I think there's reasonable scope um, to be able to uh, debate and discuss um, in particular I the the cross ge- geography comparison of US policy settings um, vis-a-vis platforms European policy settings vis-a-vis platforms and Chinese settings vis-a-vis platforms um, will, will differ. And um, the, the, the reason why I say that it's a little bit more like utilities in Australian uh, competition law, they're, 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 these are regarded as essential services. They include telecommunications. And one of the interesting things about telecommunications regulation is that you have, as you say, uh, caps on prices, but not only that, um, you also have uh, minimum service standards, um, uh, you know, you know a, a tighter uh, array of, of, reg- uh, of, of what is permissible and not permissible, um, uh, and, and also, um, oh dear, uh, the last point uh, es- escapes me. Um, uh, at any rate, um, I, I think it is. I think it is uh, a good and interesting discussion to be able to say, well, d- does this look a little bit like financial regulation? Does it look a little bit more like essential services regulation, or does it look like uh, something else, a hybrid? Um, and we should always be uh, open to the possibility that uh, tech, uh, big tech regulation, platform regulation, looks, um, feels, and smells like something that um, uh, can't be solved by a simple analogy. Uh, in terms of in terms of Twitter accounts, I think you have so there's uh, what I like to call the sort of the uh, China tech Twitterati. Um, so there is um, uh, Raymar, there's um, Lillian Lee, there's Kendra Schaefer, um, there's 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 myself. There are the uh, the, the the Chinese uh, journalists that um, that write for. Uh, uh, you know, publications like the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, and the like that are all worth a, a follow. Um, uh, but you have to a- appreciate that I think it's dangerous to subscribe to any one of those exclusively and 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 have um, your your gospel of, of of truth from from one talking head on on Twitter. Outside of um, uh, Twitter, I would encourage folks to, uh, especially in these times, to pay close attention to uh, documents that are coming out of SEMAR on the platform economy. 
um, uh, in particular uh, speeches, updates around um, around um, the platform economy and and uh, anti-monopoly regulation, I think are worthwhile. Uh, in addition, uh, for your for your reading toolkit, I think that um, the innovation led development strategy document. That's a 2016 uh, policy document. Uh, Made in China 2025, uh, which is a 2015 policy document. Um, the five-year plan, uh, which was which, the latest five-year plan, which was published last year. And um, the, the speech uh, from uh, Vice Premier Liu He that I referenced, uh, or sorry, the uh, op-ed that uh, from Price, uh, Vice Premier Liu He that I, that I referenced earlier, um, I think also build out a pretty neat foundational understanding of the aims and objectives of antitrust regulation in China's current development paradigm, which is high quality development. Um, understanding that particular thread and its implications for um, uh, market mechanisms, competition, um, um, et cetera, is absolutely essential to being able to place the current um, review of the platform economy into an appropriate context and avoid you becoming a sucker for um, easy monoclausal explanations like, well, this is all about um, semis or this is all about common prosperity. If you follow the theoretical thread from the Chinese policymakers perspective, it takes you into a very different place than if you um, subscribe to those particular uh, particular um, points of points points of points of view or mental models of of regulation. Uh, thank you so much for that, Michael. It's been a great time talking to you. Finally, uh, which Chinese tech company are you the most bullish of outside the big? I should say four now. Oh well, I think um, I think uh, at least for this year. I, I believe that there will be a reappraisal um, of Kuaishou, which is a short video platform that uh, is often overlooked by uh, analysts both in and outside China. Kuaishou's um, uh, IPO, it's fair to say, was a um, absolute failure it came in um at a at a ipo at a point in time where um there was a real disconnect between uh the the value of the platform and um where the ipo price ended up mm, um yeah and, no, and I was just checking on Google and said that they IPO'd in Feb of last year, which was a completely yeah. flat line graph after that. 
Yes, that's right. The, uh, the the chart itself is really something um, uh, to be able to, to have a look. I, th- I think it, um, uh, yeah, the, that, that chart in and of itself, I think, tells a particular story. There was a point in time where the, the share price um, went below, I think it was uh, 70 um, Hong Kong dollars. And, um, and I think what's important for, for, for folks to understand is that one, this is, this is pretty beat up. But two, um, in terms of how much uh, value investors or the market is currently giving Kuaishol for MAUs and DAUs, if you run a, a, a comparison between the amount of market cap you get per MAU or get per DAU across the different um, Chinese internet platforms, you find that Kuaishol has a, a particularly steep discount um, I think uh, in terms of Kuaishol's um, shifting revenue mix is a story which many are, are still coming to grips with. Um, when it IPO'd, uh, live streaming uh, and tipping via live streaming was the largest source of revenue, which is now being overtaken by advertising. And that revenue mix is also being uh, shaped by a rapidly growing e-commerce business. And so um, this is the year I, I, I think that, um, uh, that investors run the ruler over Quashol, this failed IPO, and perhaps find that, um, that this relative to others has, um, uh, is, is undemanding across consensus views for um, revenue, um, uh, operating leverage and the like. Um, of course, all of this is said in, in, in the spirit of education and is, is not investment advice. It's uh, mere speculation on w- what will be reappraised this year. But I think um, you might find that the that, 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 that quiet gets another look um, from uh, market participants. Uh, thank you so much for coming on this show. I really like like talking to you, and um, I think this was the first episode I've I've had on uh, Chinese technology and especially Chinese technology regulation. So it was great fun. Yeah, likewise. Um, it's been it's been it's been great to be able to do it. I hope that. Um, this helps uh, give people a perspective that uh, is a little bit more nuanced, uh, complete, and well-rounded on on antitrust and platform regulation than what they get from a uh, you know a four hundred word uh, newspaper article that uh, they might um, they might pick up from time to time and. Um, and that's that's it's been great to be able to go through with you in in some level of detail about um, what is going on, what are the objectives, um, and what is shaping up for um, the the year or the years ahead. All right, thank you. Easy done.